BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Bowery Boys episode 145, Bicycle Mania. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo's editors inspect and recommend the best budget hotels in Europe. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. Hello there. This is Greg Young. Tom Myers is not here this week after the last few weeks of craziness of sunken cars and power outages. Well, he just decided to leave the country for work, actually, and he will be back for the December show. New York City is still recovering from the events of Hurricane Sandy, which struck the area at the end of October. And areas like Staten Island, Rockaway Beach, Coney Island, and many other places are still cleaning up and trying to return to normal. During the first week, much of the subway system was closed, and people could only get around by motor vehicles. Then in the following weeks, New York and New Jersey experienced a gas shortage, and we're just now ending a period of gas rationing that happened in the city, almost like a return to the 1970s. But through all of these situations, the one traveler who's been able to get around, albeit past a few fallen branches, has been the cyclist. The bicycle has always seemed a little out of place in a big city, dwarfed by the mass transit needs of thousands, and yet it's proven to be a clean, reliable transport for individuals and enough of a transportation solution that the city has built hundreds of miles of bike paths in the past few years. But because New Yorkers are highly susceptible to fads, bicycles have actually been the hottest trend through several periods of New York City history. New York doesn't have a lot to do, relatively speaking, with the development of the bicycle, but its acceptance here in the city was critical to the reception nationwide, especially in the 19th century. This is a story of proposed elevated bikeways, policemen on two wheels, and America's very first bike path. But before we get to the bike paths, we begin our story here with the dandy horse. I will stand by you in wheel or Oh, 
Imagine a modern bicycle without pedals or chains, an uncomfortable seat or saddle, no interchangeable parts, and a stiff wooden frame. What I've just described to you is the precursor to the bicycle, called the Velocipede, or Drazine, named for the German inventor who came up with it in 1817, Karl Drazen. Within a couple of years, this odd, rigid device made its way to the United States as part of the collection of prominent Philadelphia painter and museum owner Charles Wilson Peale. This is often considered the first bicycle or proto-bicycle in the United States. The elder Philadelphian enjoyed strolls in his final years using his specially built, quote, fast walking machine. You see, the propulsion system of a Drazine, or a running horse was another name, as you might have guessed, was your own legs thrusting the bike forward, your legs flying to and fro to keep the bike balanced, and hoping that the power of gravity helped you out a little bit here. The Velocipede first came to New York in 1819 from London, where advanced designs proved a popular fad for wealthy young men. Soon, a rink or velodrome, especially designed for the Velocipede, opened near Bowling Green at the tip of Manhattan that year, a place for men to kick-ride these devices around in a circle. As early riders were, of course, wealthy, because these were very expensive devices, the men were flamboyantly dressed, and of course they looked absurd. So another name soon attached itself to this device, the Dandy Horse. Interest in the Dandy Horse reached such a fever pitch that year in 1819 that news of such a device suitable for the transportation of ladies, not just for gentlemen, drew an enormous audience to gaze at this wonder in the park in front of City Hall, a building that was just a few years old at this period. Unfortunately, according to reports, this was just merely a scam, that it didn't really exist. And the newspapers the following week cried on their front pages, quote, Velocipede hoax. Within a year, after several deadly accidents, keep in mind there's no brakes here and the roads are very, very bad, these aimless projectiles and their well-dressed pilots were deemed a public nuisance and promptly banned. It would be almost 50 years before a two-wheeled conveyance would make another real impact here in New York. Within the city at this time, transportation was mostly by stagecoach, omnibus, and by the 1830s, the first trains and streetcars. Inventors in England and France had spent decades tinkering with the variety of self-propelled contraptions, some with three and four wheels, some operating with steam, the first proto-motorcycles. In France, two separate inventors, Pierre Michel and Pierre Lallemand, both separately developed a two-wheeled conveyance with a pedal getting, of course, closer to our modern idea of a bicycle. Now, for the purposes of American bicycle history, Lallemand is a bit more important here as he takes the invention to America in 1865 and grabs up the American patent for the bicycle, which he then licenses out to manufacturers. Of course, as with everything fashionable, to really catch on in the United States, you of course need some kind of celebrity endorsement behind it. In this case, it was the world-famous traveling acrobatic troupe, the Hanlon Brothers. They made their American debut back in 1858 at Niblo's Garden at Broadway and Prince Street. I have a whole podcast on that, which I keep plugging, but it threads its way through every single story we tell, it seems. Ten years later, the Hanlon brothers, well, they introduced the new bicycle as part of their act. I'm not even sure people saw them do really death-defying feats that we would consider to be rather exciting today 
I think it was just the mere fact of them writing with ease captivated audiences. The time was right for a resurgence of the two-wheeled conveyance here, and by 1868, New Yorkers were again smitten with the Velocipede. The primary appeal of the Velocipede by this time was its freedom of use, as the city was simply larger and harder to get around in at this time. According to the author of the 1869 book The Velocipede, Its History, Varieties, and Practice, quote, In New York, no matter where you go, a velocipede is sure to whiz past you. The schoolboy rides up Fifth Avenue in the morning with his books strapped before him. On Broadway, where stages, wagons, carts, trucks, and carriages clog the streets from morning till night, the iron steed may be seen gracefully cutting its way among the larger vehicles, unquote. New York manufacturers snatched up licenses to make their own unregulated variations, like Mercer and Menard at 54 William Street, whom the journal Scientific American in 1869 called, quote, the most enterprising velocipede men in the city. The renowned Thomas Pinkering sold his popular lighter-framed velocipede in a storefront on Green Street in today's Soho area. The phrase, it's just like riding a bicycle, of course didn't mean much at this time when no one knew how to ride them, so the first riding schools opened at this time. The first Grand Velocipede Academy opened in December of 1868 at Broadway and 28th Street. It claimed to be the first gymnocyclidium, containing over 8,000 feet of track, training people both to control the bike and to maneuver them through the crowded streets without accidents. In 1869, women had a special riding school of their own at Fifth Avenue and 14th Street. Now, given that address, near, of course, some of the fanciest residents in town, it must have attracted ladies of the elite. In Brooklyn, preacher Henry Ward Beecher extolled the virtues of the bicycle from his pulpit, while Charles Dana, the editor of the New York Sun, proposed the city build an elevated road for the exclusive use of velocipedists. An elevated line that would be 30 feet wide with a flooring of hard pine going from Harlem to the Battery. Well, despite these high-profile proponents, the city mostly frowned upon the velocipede as a dirty, dangerous object for a country road, not a civilized metropolis. They were swiftly banned from Central Park, and riders found on the sidewalk were fined. Fortunately, New Yorkers had a few outdoor rinks to choose from at this time, including two in Brooklyn, the Union Grounds and the Capitoline Grounds, both of which would double, of course, as America's first two baseball fields. Coming on as it did, as a fad, it soon quickly became passe, as fads are often wont to do. But that didn't mean the end of the velocipede in America, even as innovation continued in Europe. New York sportsmen began embracing it in the 1870s with the invention of the high wheeler or penny farthing, a durable but dangerous bicycle with a gigantic front wheel that could reach competitive speeds. Its high seat over the front wheel made it difficult to mount and dismount, so you weren't going to see this on regular New York streets. In 1876, the first ever American high-wheeler race took place at the American Institute building at 3rd Avenue and 63rd Street, an intriguing, if weird-looking, alternative to horse racing. Sometimes the high-wheelers even raced horses. New York journals offered high-wheelers for sale at about $175, which is around $3,000 today. So clearly this was a rich man's pursuit. But that would soon change with newer innovations from Europe, like the improved brake and the pneumatic tire, developed by John Boyd Dunlop for use on his son's tricycle. Just as other industries had their moguls and icons from Vanderbilt to Edison, 
So too did the American bicycle industry at this time with Albert Pope, a Bostonian who produced America's most popular bicycle, the Columbia, in 1878. Within a decade, American companies began producing what was called the safety bicycle, with an improved design and a chain drive, which of course facilitated a far safer drive here, and returned the device to popularity. It was around this time that the word bicycle was also used to begin describing these things. The bicycle came along at a perfect time in American life here. Conditions of roads previously had been so bad that velocipedes were nicknamed bone shakers for the bumpy ride that they offered. But by the 1880s, America was in the midst of a good roads movement, which promoted paved, clean roads. New Yorkers, meanwhile, were still trying to solve their transit crisis, first with elevated trains in 1870, and later with trolleys and cable cars. Bicycles, which were now safer, finally became a more attractive option in the city. And there was another reason for the new rise in popularity. Women. By the 1890s, New York women were growing more independent and tired of the restrictions of the Victorian era. Here, for the first time, was a method of transportation that they could ride without escort, on their own, to go and do whatever they wanted to do. The bicycle of the 1890s also became an incredible excuse to do away with Victorian fashion. The corsets and the full-length dresses would not do. In 1894, fashion plates debuted the bloomer costume, knickerbockers, or Turkish trousers, allowing women unfettered access to the bicycle. America experienced in the 1890s what can only be called the ultimate bicycle craze, with New York one of its center points. There were over 25 different bike riding schools in New York alone in 1895, many for the wealthy, as before, but also for people of lesser means who could now afford a mass-produced machine. In the following years, Manhattan department stores like Wanamaker's and Siegel Cooper would sell bicycles as affordable as basic appliances. Central Park once again became a destination for bikers, as did Riverside Drive, up to the newly opened Grant's Tomb. Given the steepness of the hill over there by Grant's Tomb, in 1895, gentlemen would assist lady bikers with a gentle push up the hill. For a small fee, of course. With so much traffic on bicycles, it made sense for the police to be on them as well. In May of 1895, police commissioner Theodore Roosevelt, himself a bike rider, helped create the Scorcher Squad, a fleet of policemen on bicycles who made over 1,300 arrests their very first year, and just in time, too. With an increase in bike riding, of course, came an increase in bike theft. One notorious New York thief in 1895 was a bloomer-clad woman who took bikes from unsuspecting men who fumbled over the decorum of how to chase down a lady thief. The bikes of the 1890s shattered beliefs about health, morality, and etiquette. Newspapers offered advice to men on how to acknowledge passing women on bikes. Could women in mourning ride bikes? Should they? Didn't seem proper. Alleviating the morality issue a little bit here was the embrace of the bike by the highest in society, the 400 of Miss Astor's ballroom, if you will. Vanderbilts, Havemeyers, Rockefellers, even J.P. Morgan Jr., they all joined the bicycle craze. But maybe the most influential might have been Diamond Jim Brady and his public paramour actress Lillian Russell. Brady instructed Tiffany's in Union Square to make a special jewel-encrusted bike with pearl handlebars for Miss Russell, rumored to cost $10,000 back in the day or about a quarter of a million dollars today. Imagine that bike. Tin Pan Alley cranked out bicycle-themed hits. Bicycle built for two, get your lamp slit, I love you, bloomers, bicycle and all, and that old classic, 
Her bloomers are camphored away. Bicycle racing became a top-tier New York sport centered at Stanford White's Madison Square Garden, the largest bike velodrome in the country. It was here that the vigorous, brutal six-day race became famous, a race morbidly curious due to the wear upon the riders. The winner from 1896 was described in the New York Times as appearing, quote, like a ghost, his face as white as a corpse, his eyes no longer visible because they had retreated into his skull. Believe it or not, this race still exists today in a modified form. In fact, today we call the event the Madison, after Madison Square Garden. It was even raced in the 2004 and 2008 Olympic Games. The bicycle had become such an accepted form of transportation, despite the naysayers, that activists returned to the idea of an elevated trail, especially for cyclists. The city of Brooklyn, nearing its consolidation with New York around this time, went one further and actually built America's very first bike path in 1894, quote, for the exclusive use of the silent steed, unquote, along Ocean Parkway, starting at the foot of Prospect Park. And it was built principally as a way to get people to and from the attractions of Coney Island and to those Tony hotels of Brighton Beach and Manhattan Beach. The bike trail was so popular that it was widened, and then two years later, a second return path was built on the opposite side of the street. The 1890s marked the permanent debut of the bicycle in American life, and certainly the staple of American childhood. But the flurry of excitement, the buzz, if you will, surrounding the bicycle, soon diminished as another form of private transport, the automobile, took center stage. All the early forms of transportation borrowed heavily from each other in the early 20th century. The automobile industry took manufacturing models from those of the bicycle industry. The early inventors of the airplane, Wilbur and Orville Wright, were bicycle manufacturers. Their rival, Glenn Curtis, was a bicycle racer. The bicycle never became quite the accepted form of traveling in the early 20th century as it would in Europe. In New York, anyway, one might think this would have a little bit to do with the lust of cars and highways fostered by Parks Commissioner Robert Moses. But Moses actually didn't have a problem with bicycles. As a mode of exercise, that is, of, of recreation, he authorized almost 50 miles of bike path be built within the city parks under his tenure. But bike aficionados are quick to point out one blemish on his reputation here. When the Verrazano Narrows Bridge was built in the 1960s, Moses scrapped plans for a bike path over the bridge because, allegedly, he feared it would be too inviting for suicide jumpers. So I really hope you never saw the movie Saturday Night Fever. With New York City in a financial and energy crisis in the 1960s and 70s, adults riding bicycles again became a desirable option here. The nonprofit group Transportation Alternatives formed in 1973, leading the way for a lot of modern advantages that we have today for the city cyclist. The 1970s also brought a return of the daredevil bike messenger. Now, you had had telegram deliveries on bicycles and, and everything back in the 1890s. Now, modern corporations hired bike messengers who'd wind through traffic at very fast and disturbing paces. In 1977, New York had its first Five Borough Tour, a bicycle race through the city that's still held today in the spring and is one of America's largest cycling events each year. New York's mayor of the early 80s, Ed Koch, was a huge proponent of the bicycle. He even had some early bike paths, believe it or not, installed on 6th Avenue in 1980. But the city was not quite ready for this concept. There was great resistance to the bicycle in the 1980s. Conscious bike paths were removed that very same year. They were so unpopular with the community. And there was even a push to ban bikes entirely from midtown Manhattan. 
All of this changed in the 1990s with a bicycle master plan, an initiative started under Mayor Rudy Giuliani and greatly expanded under Mayor Mike Bloomberg. Today, it's created over 250 miles of bike paths in New York. Not all well-liked by local residents, of course. There's still some resistance. Even recently, bike paths were removed in Williamsburg and in Staten Island. But a general easing of perceptions of New York bikes has also helped an entirely new industry aimed at the tourist dollar. The pedicab, the fleet of tricycle-driven rickshaws that scoot around the traffic of midtown Manhattan, and essentially a return of the sort of vehicle that might have been driven by a horse just 200 years previous, back when only dandies rode on two wheels. So that's my brief history of New York biking culture, from velocipedes to the 10 speeds. Check out our blog, BoweryBoysPodcast.com, for some pictures of early bicycles on New York City streets. You can follow along with us on Facebook and on Twitter as well. I recommend that you look for the post that's relating to our Hurricane Sandy show from just two weeks ago for a list of organizations that are still taking donations, and some of them are offering volunteer opportunities to still help those that are in need in the outlying regions that are still being affected by the hurricane. Since the weather's still fine for it, I'd still like to plug my Washington Square Park audio tour, which takes you through over 200 years of history on a one-hour tour of the park. You can buy that on iTunes and or basically anywhere you, where you can get digital music, and there's also a little store on the website, and you can buy it from there as well. So Tom will definitely be back for our last show of 2012 in a few weeks. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America.